All right, we're back. And, of course, we have to talk about uh, the story that made the international news coming right here from Davis. Actually, pause. There are two of them. One quite serious, one frivolous. Let's start with the frivolous. Writing in the R region section of the Sacramento Bee last Saturday, Bill Lindelof noted that there's one lucky turkey in Davis who will be a lot more comfortable (laughs) this Thanksgiving thanks to UC Davis veterinarians and the State Department of Fish and Game. The male turkey had been running around with an arrow in his posterior since at least the week before after being shot by an unknown archer. Last Friday, he was finally captured and the arrow was removed. He was then released to strut and peck again. But the best part of this story, which unfortunately I cannot perhaps convey adequately, was the photo that accompanied it. There appear to be at least four and possibly five camera crews covering the turkey. Now, this story had made the news a week before after Fish and Game got a call about uh, the bird and its predicament. Noted Mr. Lindelof, turkey experts were deployed. and They confirmed that the bird was in stable condition, but was difficult to approach. That is often true about wild animals. But apparently Game Warden Patrick Foy and Fish and Game Wildlife veterinarian Ben Gonzalez uh, finally captured it with a net gun. According to Foy, a veteran turkey hunter, the way to hunt turkeys is to find their roosting spots. So the duo staked out the roost tree, and when when the day dawned, the turkey left the tree for a parking lot. Foy blocked the bird with his pickup, and Gonzalez fired the net gun. Reportedly, the nearby female turkey was none too happy loudly chirping when the male was netted. The story goes on. The bird was transported to the William R. Pritchard Veterinary Teaching Hospital, part of the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, where it was examined by a team of veterinarians specializing in avian species. Through x-rays, the team determined that the arrow had penetrated only soft tissue, missing vital organs. So they anesthetized the turkey and removed the target arrow, which differs from a razor-sharp hunting arrow. The turkey was given antibiotics, and after he could stand on his own, was released. Reportedly, the bird was taken back to his South Davis turkey habitat and set free, and he wasted no time in getting away. Said Foy, it should reunite with the female, and there's a good chance it'll be back in that roosting tree tonight. And this is where you come in, dear listener. We know that somebody out there knows the follow-up to this turkey story, and we'd appreciate it if you'd drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We have to admit to a mild amount of curiosity as to whether that bird makes it back to join his mate in the roosting tree. All right, a much less amusing story is uh, the video, which has gone viral on YouTube and other locations, involving the... Occupy Davis protesters who were pepper sprayed last week. Quoting from the Marin Independent Journal, which shows uh, to some degree that this story really did have legs and traveled all over the world, the protest was held in support of the overall Occupy Wall Street movement and in solidarity with protesters at the University of California at Berkeley who were jabbed by police with batons on November 9th. The UC Davis video images, which were circulated on YouTube and widely online, prompted outrage among faculty and students. Ten people were arrested in this incident. We're happy to report that nobody was seriously injured. But 
The whole incident has raised questions with civil libertarians all around the United States, and I suppose you could even say the world. We consider the right to protest peacefully um, one of the hallmarks of a functioning democracy. The world certainly has applauded when uh, protest movements have broken out throughout the Arab world this year. And we think it's a healthy thing that Occupy Wall Street has caused demonstrations to erupt all across the United States. This is a red-hot issue, and being that ground zero to it is right here at UC Davis, it might be prudent for me to note for an unprecedented second time that the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California, who will be holding a meeting next week to decide what needs to be done in the wake of this pepper spraying incident. This correspondent was somewhat dismayed to see the quote from UC Davis Police Chief Annette Spicuza to the Sacramento Bee, saying that police used the pepper spray after they were surrounded. Protesters were warned repeatedly beforehand that force would be used if they didn't move, she said. There was no way out of that circle, Spicuza said. They were cutting the officers off from their support. It's a very volatile situation. Well, I would encourage you to examine the video, which is all over the web, and see if that statement seems to ring true. I'll also give some congratulations to this radio station, KDVS, for its coverage of unfolding events. In fact, the following was making the rounds uh, around KDVS, sent from, uh, uh, well, I'll just quote from it. Congratulations, KDVS, on a very impressive day of coverage and persevering through the initial technical difficulties. I was listening in St. Louis and am very proud to be an alumni of KDVS and UC Davis. Many people are counting on you for continued coverage of these events. Keep up the good work. I want to echo that and, and, and say that you know it's very important for a local, community-based, college-affiliated radio station to do what it, do what it can to provide such direct, on-the-scene coverage to breaking events. Special thanks to uh, our fellow public affairs hosts who went out of their way to donate airtime to cover events. Chancellor Linda Katehi has apologized for the pepper spraying incident and says that a task force she's created to investigate the matter has 30 days to report its findings. She said its members will include faculty, staff, and students to be chosen this week. This is according to an article by Heather Knight in the San Francisco Chronicle. UC President Mark Udoff said last week he was appalled by the use of force against nonviolent campus protesters, said that the recent incidents made clear the time has come to take strong action to recommit to the ideal of peaceful protest. Free speech is part of the DNA of this university, and nonviolent protest has long been central to our history. There's a lot more to say about this, but being it's our holiday show, I think we'll defer some of that to next week's program. This correspondent uh, can, by virtue of his great age, uh, add some historical perspective to protests on this UC campus, having witnessed uh, some of the more uh, prominent ones that made Life magazine back in the 1970s. But being that the protests about uh, Occupy Wall Street, in particular tying that to increasing tuition, which is certainly related to our economic collapse in this country, I'd like to quote uh, from a piece by Robert Reich, which appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle on November 6th. Said Reich, President Obama travels this week to Wall Street, where he'll demand, in light of the street's continuing 
antics since the bailout, as well as its role in watering down the Volcker Rule, that the Glass-Steagall Act be resurrected and that big banks be broken up. I'm kidding, but it would be a smart move. Said Reich, Americans of whatever stripe, from Tea Partiers on the right to occupiers on the left, continue to hold Wall Street at least partly responsible for the nation's continuing misery, with good reason. He goes on, After the banks made wildly risky bets with our money, we bailed them out. Congress enacted financial reform, the Dodd-Frank law, but Wall Street lobbyists immediately set about diluting it along with its regulations. Dodd-Frank is now riddled with so many exceptions and loopholes that the largest banks are back to many of their old tricks. For example, it's impossible to know the street's real exposure to the European debt crisis. To stay afloat, several of Europe's banks could be forced to sell mountains of assets, among them derivatives originating on the street, and might have to renege on or delay some repayments on loans from Wall Street banks. Executives on the street say they're not worried because their assets are insured. But uh, remember AIG? The fact that Morgan Stanley and other big U.S. banks have taken a beating in the market suggests investors don't believe the street. This itself proves that financial reform hasn't gone nearly far enough. He notes later in the article... The banks aren't even fulfilling their fiduciary duties to investors. Last summer, after Groupon selected Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Credit Suisse to underwrite its initial public offering, the trio valued it at a generous $30 billion. Subsequent accounting and disclosure problems showed this estimate to be absurdly high. Did the banks care? Not a whit. The higher the valuation, the fatter their fees. Concluded by saying, I doubt the president will be condemning the street's post-bailout antics or calling for a resurrection of Glass-Steagall and a breakup of the biggest banks. Democrats are still too dependent on the street's campaign money. That's too bad. You don't have to be an occupier of Wall Street to conclude that the street is still out of control. And that's dangerous for all of us. All right, let's look for some good news here. Uh, Apparently Hillary Clinton has visited Burma or as its ruling dictatorship likes to call it, Myanmar. For the first time in a half century, a U.S. Secretary of State has gone to Burma. Secretary of State Clinton apparently visited with Aung San Suu Kyi and the rulers of the country. A few years back, Aung San Suu Kyi actually won the national election, but uh, was denied the right to take power by the junta. I'm sad to note that personally that I visited the country in 1988 several months before a bloody crackdown on democracy protesters that heralded Burma's Burma's descent into a pariah status, which it's maintained up to the present. While the West, uh, Western nations imposed tough economic trade and political penalties, the Chinese provided diplomatic support, investment, and weaponry. I really do hope that things uh, can be improved in in Burma. I thought it was uh, one of the most fascinating, marvelous places I've ever been. And when people have asked me, and, and they have, uh, in, in traveling around the world, we're the nicest people. I, I usually don't have to pause before I answer Burma, which is sort of odd because it is not a well-governed country. Its ruling military aristocracy has pretty much controlled everything. The country looks like it, well, in 1988, it looked like it hadn't had a fresh cone of paint since World War II. And yet, what friendly people. 
Anyway, I have to tell some Burma stories in future installment of this show. Something else we need to talk about is the bullet train. There seems to be a very strong lobbying effort from, well, somewhere, claiming that this whole idea of high-speed rail is just a, a, a terrible, ridiculously expensive idea. To which uh, we would just add, well, have you ever been to France, Germany, or China and seen the kind of rail systems they have? Because you got a sneaking suspicion that, you know, it's not something peculiar to the French, the Germans, and the Chinese that they can build a successful, operational, wonderful, high-tech rail system. We do note that Governor Jerry Brown uh, did say last week that he would formally request that the legislature approve the start of this controversial California high-speed rail line, now estimated to cost $98 billion, a sum which dwarfs the state's total budget, but which causes this correspondent to suspect that something is afoot. I was talking to somebody not so long ago about Los Angeles. There was a wonderful program on one of the public, uh, public stations, which I saw in the Bay Area, about the history of the railroads in California. This was focusing mainly on the, uh, the late 1800s and uh, the Big Four, and of course the history of uh, how they controlled the California economy. But just mentioned sort of casually in the program was the fact that uh, there was a marvelous rail system for public transport throughout the Los Angeles Basin. You could, in the early part of the 20th century, basically get on a, uh, a, a train and ride it from Pasadena down to Huntington Beach. Yes, Los Angeles once had the world's best mass transit system. When I was in medical school, I remember my uh, girlfriend's mother talking about, uh, about riding some of those trains. That must have been in the 1930s. Well, in the 1930s, a consortium of General Motors... Firestone, Standard Oil, and a few other uh, corporate bad guys got together and established a holding company whose mission was to buy up public utilities that operated mass transit systems and bankrupt them, have them strike the tent and pull up the rails, which they did in Los Angeles and the Bay Area. Operating on no more than a hunch, I, I just have my suspicions that something like that is afoot here when it comes to uh, claiming that just high-speed rail, oh my God, it's just, oh, there's just no way we could build such a system. I don't want to belabor this one, but I just, I just have to mention the following, and I quote, this comes from the Daily Mail from the UK. An episode of the BBC's Frozen Planet documentary series that looks at climate change has been scrapped in the U.S., where many are hostile to the idea of global warming. British viewers will see all seven episodes of the multi-million pound nature series throughout the autumn, but U.S. audiences will not be shown the last episode, which looks at the threat posed by man to the natural world. It is feared a show that preaches global warming could upset viewers in the U.S., where around half the people do not believe in climate change. And I'm afraid that that leaves me speechless. Whew. Yeah, the article points out that 30 countries have purchased this series, including China, and uh, world TV networks have the option to buy a seventh companion episode along with behind-the-scenes footage. Ten countries have chosen not to use the final episode 
on climate change, including, of course, the good old U.S. of A. You know, I do want to end on an upbeat note on this segment uh, before we go to that wonderful look at failure per uh, Ira Glass's This American Life. But let's, uh, I guess let's go to Dave Barry to close this segment. Noted Dave Barry, it's a tragic but statistical fact that every Thanksgiving, undercooked turkeys claim the lives of an estimated 53 billion Americans. Sometimes the cause is deadly bacteria. Sometimes, in the cases of extreme undercooking, the turkey actually springs up from the carving platter and pecks the would-be carver to death. Dave goes on. No Thanksgiving dinner is complete without the pumpkin pie. Here is an easy recipe for this delicious traditional dessert. 1. Using a dangerous knife, cut the top off a large pumpkin. 2. Inside you will find a mess of stringy, skanky, slimy pumpkin innards. Scoop these out and discard them. 3. Now, discard the rest of the pumpkin, because the simple truth, obvious to anybody with half a brain, is that no part of the pumpkin looks, smells, or tastes anything like so-called pumpkin pie. This is why nobody actually makes pumpkin pie. Everybody buys it at the supermarket. The question is, what does the supermarket put in there? The Food and Drug Administration is investigating this, and according to one informed source, they think it's tofu. And finally, said Dave Barry, Thanksgiving is not merely a time of eating until we're big, fat, bloated carbohydrate balloons lying motionless on the sofa watching the Detroit Lions while actual gravy oozes from our pores. Thanksgiving is also a time for giving thanks, as the pilgrims did so many centuries ago, for the fact that the malls are open on Fridays. For the fact that the malls are open on Friday. Otherwise, we'd have to spend another day cooped up with our loved ones, not to mention toxic levels of leftovers, and the number of domestic drumstick assaults would be even higher than it is. On that note, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax, our annual Thanksgiving program. Oh, 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 oh,